Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual and spirited community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. We're very glad you are here. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in everyone. And so the way we greet the divine on a Sunday morning is by turning to the people around us and welcoming them here this morning. Let us say together the words by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Good morning. Um, But I will read the call to worship, which was written by a Bengali poet, musician, and artist whose name is Rubindanath Tagore. Let me not pray to be sheltered from danger, but to be fearless in facing them. Let me not beg for the stilling of my pain, but for the heart to conquer it. Let me not look for allies in life's battlefield, but to my own strength. Let me not crave in anxious fear to be saved, but hope for the patience to win my freedom. Grant me that I may not be a coward, feeling your mercy in my success alone, but let me find the grasp of your hand in my failure. From time to time, One asks oneself the question, what am I doing and why? And in case you have ever asked yourself that question in this room, the answer is hanging on the wall. This is our mission statement and we say it together every Sunday. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Our meditation reading this morning is by Ralph Waldo Emerson. A person will worship something. A person will worship something. Have no doubt about that. We may think our tribute is paid in secret in the dark recesses of our hearts, but it will out. That which dominates our imaginations and our thoughts will determine our lives and character. Therefore, it behooves behooves us to be careful what we worship. For what we are worshiping, we are becoming. We bring so many thoughts and feelings with us into the silence today. The thoughts about our recent election, uh, the thoughts about the outbursts of violence that we've had in this country, uh, thoughts about cynicism and honor, and then all of those thoughts and feelings about our personal lives. We bring them all with us as we enter the silence, which is what we do in order to find clarity and to feel ourselves rooted in the heart of compassion. 
Let us enter into the wise silence together.
A lot of you have heard me talk about uh, one of my addictions, which is um, watching movies and TV shows about people climbing Everest. <laughs> I get so happy when I when the when the program starts and this deep voice full of testosterone and reflectivity says hurricane force winds sub-zero temperatures and minimal oxygen I just feel everything in me just relax (laughs) and I love how the character of the climbers is revealed as the ascent begins, as the training, the acclimatization, all of that stuff gets going. Some of them are there at advanced base camp, uh, kind of strutting around like, oh, I can do this. Oh, I'm, a, I'm a person who, who follows their will. There was this woman who was a, um, uh, what you call it, reporter from L.A., and she, she was like, yeah, I'm just a strong person, and uh, I don't know that much about climbing. <laughs> I told them I did. <laughs> but I'm a fast learner, and I'm thinking, oh, my God. <laughs> and other people are a little more uh, humble about it. Oh, I'm just going to do my best. And I... I think how much more their character is revealed the higher they get up the mountain. Um, it's interesting to me that it's people of the, it's not, there's not a correlation between who reaches the top and who has the strongest character. I'm not going to tell you that. Because the strongest characters are the ones who can go as far as they can go without damaging themselves or other people without creating an emergency situation where the Sherpas who work for the expedition have to put their own lives at risk to try to come get you after you did something stupid. And so I'm talking about perseverance today, and I know you all have done a lot of things that take perseverance. You've, you've made a living your whole life. You've made relationships and marriages. You've raised children. You're taking care of elderly parents. You're you're building businesses, you're getting through school, you're maintaining your friendships and partnerships, you're making art, you're doing your job. And mostly you know that it takes showing up. You just show up day after day after day, event after event, thing after thing, you show up. I learned that um, I earned a second-degree black belt in karate And mostly it was just me bringing my body to class three times a week with all the 15-year-olds who were in my class, and I was 40. That is not great for the ego. I just learned what they told me to learn and enjoyed it. And uh, so that was some kind of long-term perseverance. But the black belt test itself was kind of a crisis perseverance because... I was there, uh, my friend Joanna, who was the other grown-up in the class, she, she was the same age as I am, was. Uh, after about three hours, I felt like, okay, this is enough. I'm, I haven't done a sustained physical thing for three hours before. 
Um, now I know I can do three hours. Time to go. And I thought, Joanna's not going. She looks terrible. I can't leave her here. So I kept, kept going. For three and a half hours, it was just all I could do not to throw up. Uh, but I didn't. I'm proud of that. Kept going. Four hours, I thought, I'm, I'm going to die. I can't leave Joanna. She's going to die too. <laughs> the test lasted five hours. And after the test was over, I took my belt. I bowed to the teacher. I went, <laughs> hobbled to my car um, and sat there and wept. My body was mad at me for two weeks. Like, what in the world? What are you thinking? <laughs> and um, so I can't say that it was really grit or determination or commitment that kept me going. It was not wanting to leave Joanna alone and not wanting to be embarrassed in front of the 15-year-olds and not wanting to throw up in public. So I think perseverance takes a lot of different things. You, you, you have to make it through giving birth, for example, uh, really, once you're at that point, there's not much choice. <laughs> you can want to stop. <laughs> they don't care. <laughs> By they, I mean the baby. You have to make it through chemo and radiation. There's really not that much choice. You have to make it through writing a book, if that's what you want to do. You have to make it through finishing the marathon, if that's what you want to do. You have to make it. And sometimes there's not a goal. There's, there's not an end point. There's just a long perseverance. Like um, this marriage is going to be a, the best marriage I can make it be. And I'm going to be here day by day. Or I really would like to be a great musician. And so I'm just going to have to practice. And you have to just practice. It's pretty much every day, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty much every day. And all my life I've heard, um, set a goal, write it down, tell it to somebody so that you have accountability, break it into small pieces, do it little by little. And I'm sure that works um, somewhat. But the newer research is coming out saying, mm, probably goal setting is really not the best thing you can do. Here are some reasons. Number one, when you write down goals your body releases the same endorphins that it does when you've made the goal, when you've achieved the goal. And so your body thinks you've achieved the goal. Back to the couch. I have a friend who used to say, this summer I'm going to clean out my whole house. And she would just look so happy. I mean, she never did it. But <laughs> she, because um, her husband, every time she would take something to the trash, he would go get it in the trash and bring it back in the house. <laughs> anyway. People are endlessly interesting, I think. So I just love all of us. Um, and the other problem with even achieving a goal is that you're happy for a while, a little while, really not very long you're happy, and then you go back to what they call your happiness set point, which is where you kind of are all the time. 
And then you have to start making the next goal. And another problem with that is that um, when you set a goal, it actually limits your happiness. It limits your ability to enjoy your life because you think, I can't really let myself be happy until I've lost the weight or until I've got my muscle mass or until I've, um, I've uh, eradicated injustice in the world or until I have built this business or until I have published my book or until I am a world-class musician, I can't let myself be happy. Which is a bad setup. I, um, I read a book called Trauma Stewardship, which I read because Kaya was reading it for seminary and I wanted to read it too. It looked wonderful. It's written by a young woman of color who had been an activist for her young life, uh, a social worker in the emergency room. She'd worked with immigrants and refugees. She had worked with battered women and abused children. And she uh, woke up one day. Her family was in the Caribbean visiting relatives and she was at the top of this beautiful cliff and everybody was enjoying the view. And she thought, I wonder how many people have jumped off this cliff. I wonder where the nearest trauma center is and where the helicopter could land. And she thought, oh my God, I'm, I'm traumatized. And she went on a journey of uh, getting back in touch with herself so she could reconnect with her own joy and her sense of who she was and be a better help for people that she wanted to help. She didn't stop helping. She just made herself a more sustainable helper. Does that make sense? She allowed herself some joy so that she could stand on a cliff in the Caribbean and go, wow, this is gorgeous. You have to let yourself be happy And how do you do that? Well, what the research says is that you have to shift your focus just a little away from your goal and onto the process. So if you want to be a happy musician, because they're never satisfied with their performances, I, don't, I mean, I don't know, I haven't asked you guys, but I had a friend who was a, a wonderful concert pianist, and I would say, oh my gosh, that was so beautiful. And he would go, oh, I messed up here. He could never just go, thank you. I think I hit it out of the park. (laughs) A musician will be happier if they can fall in love with practicing. An athlete will be happier if they can fall in love with training. A writer will be happier if they can fall in love with writing. An activist will be happier if they can fall in love with the work. A climber will be happier who is in love with climbing and not just summiting. And now there's the other side of perseverance, i.e., when is it time to quit? To go back to Everest, the expedition leader will tell you when. And you have to sign a contract when you join the expedition that when the leader tells you it's time to turn around and go down the mountain again, you will not argue and you will do what he or she says. And the reason you have to sign your your name to that is because you lose your mind 
when you're up there. There's not enough oxygen, number one. Here's your goal that you've spent $60,000 to try to get to, and you've trained for years, and the summit is just there, and you have to turn around? No. But what the expedition leader can hold in mind is that once you reach the summit, you're halfway through because you have to go down again and you're tired and it's getting dark. And that thing that was really hard when it was daylight and you had some leg left in you, it's going to be killer going down in the dark. So they tell you to turn around without arguing so that you can make it. Most deaths occur on the descent. Just for those very reasons, you're tired and you think, woohoo, I made the, I made it. Or, oh man, I didn't make it. I'm so embarrassed. I have to come back. And you're not giving it your whole attention. Very, very dangerous. When to quit. Some people... Um, have Winston Churchill on one of their shoulders. And he, I think this is an apocryphal story because I can't believe any speaker would speak uh, this briefly. But um, uh, the story is that he gave a commencement speech at Oxford and now he came up to the podium in his top hat and with his cane, put the top hat on the podium and said in that authoritative voice, never give up. And then stood there just looking at everybody for a moment or two and then said, never give up. (laughs) Put his hat on and sat down. So some people have that on their shoulder or their coach who said, don't be a quitter. Uh, People yell quitter at folks who are stopping things. But I tell you what, those people who are escaping from the fires in California Nobody is lining the roads as they drive by going, quitter. You know, there's time to leave. There's a time to leave. There's a time to give up. How do you know when that is? I don't know. You have to listen to your inner voices. You have to listen to your advisors. You don't usually have the luxury of an expedition leader who will call you on the radio and say, time to turn around. Most of us in our lives don't, don't get that. And so we persevere and you all as a congregation are persevering. I can see that every day. Um, We persevere in justice work and have done for 60 years. A lot of you are out there really Every day, doing the work. People worked for Beto. People worked for all the Democrats. People, probably there are people who worked for Republican candidates. Good on you. The political system needs all of us. And then you either win or you lose, and then you pick up and start doing it again. You persevere. After the um, election last week, we had a service of perseverance and um, bear, uh, made a beautiful altar. It had different flowers on it. It had some sweet roses and bitter berries, which were perfect. Um, and then a river of water and some stones, which are both very persevering elements. So I want to invite you after the service, if you like to come up and pick out a stone 
If you have something you're trying to persevere in, please pick out a stone of perseverance and take it with you. We are persevering and making a new space for the welcoming of the people we don't even know yet who need this congregation. You all are persevering, I know, in various projects and life experiences, and I hope that you have people who are helping you along the way. And if you need him, I hope you have Winston Churchill on your shoulder <laughs> saying, never give up, but only if he's right. And I, I extend to you blessings of clarity and courage to know uh, when that is. And now will you please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Please sing along if you like. The lone wild bird in lofty flight is still with thee, nor leaves thy sight. And I am thine, I rest in thee. Great Spirit, come and rest in me. Love to you all. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.